Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Would you open your Bibles, please, with me to Luke chapter 13. We'll be reading verses 22 to 30 from Luke chapter 13. And he, Jesus, was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open up to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you're from. Then you'll begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. And he'll say, I tell you, I do not know where you're from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being thrown out. And they will come from east and west, and from north and south, and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we know that what we've just read is your word, and it is true forever. And we belong to you in another way. We are your creatures, we're made in your image, and many of our hearts are not fully committed to you, and none of our hearts are committed to you as they ought to be. But we pray, Lord, that you would feed us as we were your sheep, that you would uh, stoop low to us and explain yourself to us through these words. We pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would help us now to understand what we've just read, apply it and live by it, and love the truth that you have spoken to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and you know what he's going to do there, or rather what's going to be done to him. Jesus is on his last trip, and it's going to take a while. It's going to take several chapters in the book of Luke for him to get there. But as he's going, he's taught enough that people are starting to clue into the basic kernel of his message. And if you think of uh, Sermon on the Mount, um, blessed are the, if you think of some of the things that he said, um, the I tell you statements. You've heard it said, do not kill, but I say unto you, anyone who's angry with his brother. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say to you, anyone who looks at a woman with lust in her, uh, for her in his heart has committed adultery. They've, they've started to catch on to the heights that must be climbed, to the depths that they've, they've sunk to in their own lives, and they're beginning to get, some of them, an idea that this is not going to be so easy. And so they say, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? Good question, I guess. Depending on why you're asking. Why are you asking? 
I'm always impressed that Jesus doesn't have to investigate the questioner. He knows right what to do with the question. And so he takes them to task and gets very personal very fast. He doesn't say, as I, as I started to study the passages, telling my family, well, you know, I'm just going to get up there and I'm going to say, are there just a few who are being saved? I'm going to say, yes, and then pray, and that'll be it. You know, because in other places, Jesus talks about the narrow way, the, the small little gate, and there are few who find it. But that as we read this passage, that's not really where he's going with this, although it's certainly implied, and he does teach that in, in the book of Matthew. It's true, at any one place and time in the world, it's safe to bet that there are few who are being saved, and yet, we read in the book of Revelation, an uncountable multitude will be at the throne, which makes sense if it's not God's will that any should perish, right? Uh, and that he delays his coming so that more can, can hear the word and be saved. It makes sense that there would be eventually a lot, but the point of what Jesus says to his disciples here and in Matthew is when you look to your left or to your right, don't be surprised if you have to go it alone for a while. We like to ask these questions. It would be nice to, to be able to ask, there's just a few being saved and, and, and for him to say something like, well, you know, there are gonna be, be 10,000 tonight when we put up the tent and I preach in Cana or wherever he's gonna go preach that night. There's gonna be, there's gonna be a Holy Ghost showdown tonight and there's just gonna be thousands that are gonna come down to the, but he never, he never gets there. Instead, he doesn't talk numbers, he doesn't talk any academic questions. He just preaches to us. You know, don't, don't you worry about how many there are, you just you be sure that you're among them. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, is said to have written to one of his children. He had a 10-year-old son, Jonathan Jr., who had just lost one of his friends to death. His, uh, one of his buddies had died. And Jonathan Edwards, who is not at home, writes to his son about this and he says, this is a loud call of God to you to prepare for death. Never give yourself any rest until you have good evidence that you are converted and become a new creature. Well, that we could all be so straightforward with our 10-year-olds, or our six-year-olds, or our three-year-olds. And, and they're ready for it. I remember being around that age, I don't know how old I was, and my grandmother just breaking off her chores. I don't know what she was doing in the kitchen, it was at the sink, and I was at the refrigerator by the microwave, probably having finished a graham cracker because that's the treat that she had that we didn't have in our house. And, and uh, I just remember her breaking off what she's doing, and she just turns to me, and she says, Andy, hell is a terrible, is an awful place. The people there just burn and burn forever. Oh! And then she turns back to her work and carries on. <laughs> and I have a three-year-old now who sometimes when he's talking to a grown-up, he doesn't bother to look up, chin up, he just... His eyes droop and his mouth goes agape, and I just know he's me, you know, standing there with Grandma Eloise. What do you do with that? Are you supposed to ask for more information? 
because it doesn't seem right, right? You don't want a travel log for a place you're not supposed to go. But I really wanted to know more. And I remember growing up, going to that house, and there, they had books on their shelf, and that was the era of Hal Lindsey, the late great planet Earth, and I think it was that book cover that I saw a picture of the Earth, you know, the blue marble, suspended in space, and below, they had on the cover what I guess were uh, f- flames. It was such a badly done illustration, it might have been wheat, and I didn't know what it was, but I thought, well, that looks like fire. The earth is suspended above fire, and if you don't do what's right, you know, you're gonna pop off when you die, and you're gonna go into the flames, and that's hell down there. Hell is down there. You know, in America, we look down. In Australia, I guess, you know, I didn't look, I didn't think about it, but so captivated was I by that thought Hell is an awful place. The people there just burn and burn forever. Did something to me. It made me forever curious. Not only about, what is that like? But, well, I really don't wanna go there. So much so that when I was older, uh, junior high probably, um, and some of you probably had this experience. You know when it storms outside and you wake up with a thunderclap at night, you think, judgment, you know. It's why also where I was growing up, uh, every time anybody in the Middle East got a splinter or a hangnail, you know, we're supposed to be getting ready for the end, you know, uh, because the end, get ready, right? So, um, but I remember waking up in the middle of the night and every young person is, should be, who's in the church and who hears the gospel at all, uh, should be concerned about this. And I woke up one night and I looked at my alarm clock and my alarm clock said, hell. That's what I saw. I saw on my alarm clock the word hell spelled out as terrified. Now I just started wearing glasses. You laugh, but if it was you, um, and over the years, it was shocking how often I would wake up in the middle of the night and it was 11-11. I don't know what that's about, okay? I, I figured it out eventually, I was like, what? And it is 11-11, if your glasses are off and you're a certain distance from your alarm clock, it says hell. And, and you have a bad conscience. Don't be afraid of this doctrine, right? Fear the one who can actually send you there for good, for real. And it's not because you're not wearing glasses, it's because your ticket actually says it's over. Somebody here is gonna have that experience. I mean, I can look at each one of you and hope it's not you, and I don't know who it will be. But it may well be you that one day you wake up in hell and you'll remember today and you'll remember this table and you'll remember every sermon you've ever preached. I believe that is how it will work because of something he says here that we'll get to later on. But if, if anybody is just idly curious, oh, that's a very interesting doctrine I'd like to know more about, how many people get into heaven? Is it really 144,000? 
or is that a symbolic number that each of the one stands for 12 tribes and it's 144 square? If, if any of you are tempted to do that, hear what Jesus says to the person who asks this. Are there just a few who are being saved? He says, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not be able. Now, there are lots of people who are not in this room who are not seeking. They don't care. They have no, you know, there are some people we've met, we've started meeting people in Columbus, and there are people that when you mention Bible things or you know, what we're doing there at Planet Church, it just, it goes in one eyeball and out the other and in one ear and out the other and it's like, don't know what that's about, don't care. You wanna to come to a Bible study? Yeah, probably not, not gonna be there. No interest, okay? He's not talking to those people here because they need a different message. He's talking to people who are here, who need to be warned, just because you're here, mean anything. Just because you're a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, just because you're a Halsey, I went to a little country church with four generations of my family at one time. Grandpa Leonard, Grandpa and his son, his oldest boy, Grandpa Rolo, and his oldest boy, my dad, Denny, and his oldest boy, Andy. Okay. Just because you're there every Sunday and your granddad sits in this pew and they call him Admiral Halsey because he was of that era, not because he is Admiral Halsey, it doesn't, it doesn't mean a hill of beans. You're here so you need to hear this. You strive. Don't worry about them out there. Don't worry about what they need. You strive. Don't worry about how many more need to come in and be. You, you strive. Get to work. Strive to enter the narrow door. Many will be like you, seeking to enter and won't be able. And he's not, he's not just giving a disinterested discourse. He says, once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you, you know, there will be people who knock at the door. And once they knock at the door, he doesn't bother to say that. He says, you. You, you and I are supposed to, when we read this, we're supposed to, here that he's talking to us. You begin to stand outside and knock on the door. Lord, open up. They're seeking. So it was a seeking, but it was this seeking is too late. Before the seeking was too weak. Matthew Henry says something somewhere. Matthew Henry says, the reason why many come short of grace and glory is because they rest in a lazy seeking of that which will not be attained without a laborious striving. A lazy seeking for us here, or a lazy seeking for the Jews that he's talking to. Um, you, you imagine being close to Jesus. You think, well, this is the right place. There are very few of us, so are there very few being saved? I mean, because there are few of us, and we're obviously with you, and we're obviously being saved. And eight, Bloomington is a humongous town, but there's just a few of us, you know, in this sanctuary, are, are just a few of us being saved he says, no, no, you're not permitted to go to the water park and, and sit in the, the inflated 
tube, you know, like I like to do, the older I get, this is what I like to do at the water park, you know, not the slides, but the lazy river, you sit down there like a bump and just get a sunburn as you drift along at two miles an hour. You know, I like that. But that's, he says, you're not gonna drift with the church to heaven. Now what would be his evidence of saying that if Jesus needed evidence to, to make a claim like that? You're not gonna just drift along with the church or with the, the people of God and get to heaven. What, where would he point to to get evidence of that? Well, you know, go to this passage and turn left in the Bible. And it is full of people who claim the name of God. Israel, for example, Israel, had his name on them, right, formally, and they went astray. Luke calls Adam the son of God, right? Because it's just, that's the end of the genealogy. Where did he come from? He came from God. Adam was created by God, so he's the son of God. How did Adam do? He went astray. He fell. Had disastrous effects on his children, whom we are. Second generation. First generation ate the wrong thing. And you might say, well, that's a little thing. But it got him condemned, and you and I condemned forever um, until Christ. Second generation murdered. Okay? We, don't have, we don't take any time inventing new ways to sin. And nobody in scripture has taken any time to get busy sinning and hurting each other and killing each other and, and abandoning what they know of God. Finally, God puts it right, right? That's the ark. He puts Noah. Noah found grace with God. Noah was saved by grace through faith and put on a boat that he had to strive and build. But nevertheless, Noah was there with his family and didn't take any time at all after he got off the boat for that to get wrecked, right? It's in the DNA from the time of Adam, from Adam's fall, we all have fallen everything, DNA. It's in our blood, it's in our, our minds, it's in our souls. We are fallen people and we excel at sinning. And so when Jesus says, just because you're the people of, with the people of God, a huge clump of people who name the name of Christ, you can't drift along because guess what? Every group of people seen throughout time is adrift. That may be a little unsettling for people in the middle of a capital campaign. You know, and it, it, you can last faithfully for generations, it's true, and God has promised to a thousand generations to love. But when we drift, we don't drift toward glory. We have gravity weighing us down to those flames I talked about on that book cover, right? We, our souls long for the sin that angers God and that's, that's what sin is. That's what the inner man is. That's what the old man is that we're supposed to uh, put off. So if you're not striving, if you're not, you can think of it, if you wanna go back to the water park, if you're not paddling, you're drifting toward the waterfall, okay? You, you have to paddle, you have to strive to avoid being carried along to hell by your own desires, okay? This is what I wish they would have explained to me at the same time they were telling me all about hell. 
You know, I, I don't know if I would have understood it, but if somebody could have said, well, I probably did understand it, but not having the words to describe it, I could excuse it. Had somebody said, your worst enemy, Andy, is you. The one who will get you into hell is you. If you're happy with yourself, if you're complacent, if you just sit on your laurels, I didn't know what any of those words meant back then, if you just let yourself go and just kind of idly watch what other people are doing, you'll get to hell. Because that's the way it works. You're already on your way. You have to switch tracks. You have to be saved out of what you are. And that's what Jesus tells to these people. Look, you have to strive to enter. There will be many who, who seek lazily, and they, they love to listen to John Piper. They love to listen to John MacArthur. They love to study Beth Moore's Bible study books. <laughs> right? Beth Moore, anybody? No Beth Moore? Okay. I'm not volunteering that I've studied under the, but you know the kerfluffle about Beth Moore. Um, perfect example. Just just pitch perfect for the world. You know, beautiful, great packaging on all the studies. You know, all the ladies that I've known who've studied Beth Moore, the first thing, first thing they'll talk about is her appearance. Oh, her hair is just You know? If you drift along with the church, if you drift along with the attractive package of teacher, okay, you're gonna drift with them. I had a, okay, so I had a, my first woman Bible teacher came to our public school. Mrs. Caswell, Coravee. I thought she was a nun until I was in college because though we called her Mrs. Caswell, she was one of those people like Malcolm Muggeridge describes uh, Mother Teresa. People like, they, they have no biographies because they just live to serve, to teach. So she'd come to this public school and she would teach the elementary kids if your parents gave her permission, because it's a public school. And by the way, this is in the 80s, so I'm sure the statute of limitations has run out, so don't nobody try to file any lawsuits against Mrs. Caswell. From, she would come and she would bring her, her, she had her shopping cart with the canvas background. I mean, she looked like, I mean, she was well-dressed, but she looked like a homeless person. She'd come in, and she'd take out, and she'd start taking out, and she would have to set up in an empty, abandoned classroom, because, you know, you get what space they give you. And so she, she would set up her flannel graph, and she, and she would talk to us about every story in the Bible. She was the first person that I ever heard do expositional preaching. Because, I, I mean, I went to a church that would open the Bible, read a sentence, and then the pastor would talk about whatever the pastor would talk about. And it wasn't always a lie, I mean, some of it was helpful, but, but it, wasn't, it wasn't, this is what the Bible says, this is what it means. Hallowed be thy name. Do you know what it means? I know what it means, because it's Mrs. Caswell. And, and, and ain't nobody envying her hair or makeup or anything. But she, she taught us, and she, she raised, raised her own funds to do this, and so she raised enough funds one year to give us all a New Testament. And so I remember the day, <clears throat> I remember getting this New Testament, and I got home, and it was my book. So I read it, and I opened up to Matthew. 
and it was one of those Roman road things. It had underlines. I don't remember what the underlines meant, but the footprints, you know, were the path to heaven and all that kind of thing. So I opened it up, and I, I was good. So I was starting in Matthew. All I can remember, I don't remember anything about come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I remember Matthew 25, sheep and the goats. I remember um, passages like this, you know, the, the worm never dies. I remember um, sentences like this, depart from me, you unbeliever. I remember just reading that and just trembling and thinking, I don't want to read this anymore because I know where I am. Of course, I'm in third grade. I've never seen a naked person and give them clothes, you know, well, of course. But, but I didn't know what to do with it. I'm under a sentence of condemnation. I can read that right off the page. This is not a hard topic, right? This is not a hard subject for anyone to understand. And yet large bits of the church, you know, large chunks of the church, we treat this like it's, well, you know, we'll tell them this later. What we first want to tell them is God loves you. And if you trust in the Lord, he will set your life in order and he will... You know, I mean, I remember going to Campus Crusade when I was in college, and this chemistry lecture hall filled with students, and we uh, we'd invited you know all our friends in there, and uh, we gave a gospel presentation. Afterwards, one of the one of the guys raised his hand, and it was question and answer time. What do you have that I don't have? He wanted to know why he should become a Christian. What do you have that I don't have? You know, I'm from a wealthy family. I got you know my GPA is this, da, 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 this is my girlfriend, and all this. What do you have that we don't have? And it was a little awkward and a little dispiriting. It's, it, he didn't get an answer. He left probably thinking, well, you know, they didn't have anything. But what do we have? I remember telling Andrew Dion about this. And, uh, and uh, Tim Bailey, I think, was in the room. And Tim just turns to Andrew and he says, well, what's the answer? And Andrew just said, matter-of-factly, the wrath of God abides on you. I can understand that. In third grade, I could understand that. Why couldn't I say that to an 18-year-old? What do I have that you don't have? Forgiveness. Plain and simple. And he can ask me anything about my life, and my life is filthy and awful as it is. I just say, that's true. Hands, yes, you're right. Sinner, forgiven. Forgiven. Wrath remains on you. You can escape like I escape, by the grace of God. But in the meantime, there's all this uh, effeminate seeking that doesn't actually do anything, that doesn't actually change the life, that, that just looks to the Lord to improve, to brush up life, to make our life an airbrushed reality and a Thomas Kincaid picture, and we think that that's the Christian life. And then get to the end, and oh no, the door is shut. Lord, open to us. And he'll say, I don't know where you're from. Begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. You were there. We saw you. We I made eye contact with some people with judgment. We'll be able to say to Jesus Christ, I made eye contact with you, and you looked at me. I know you know who I am. And he'll say, no, evildoer. That's all that matters. Don't want to don't want to be like, like like that. You know, you can you can be somebody who 
you know, has the right accent, has the right education, has the right pedigree, and the right nuanced views on any topic. I've read Mere Christianity a dozen times, Lord. You can have written articles, books, blog posts, made YouTube videos, you've gotten endorsements. You may have endured hardships. Now, we, we preach and we talk a lot about not wanting to undergo hardships. Some people do undergo hardships. There are lots and lots of martyrs who don't see Jesus. Lots of people die for the faith, but it's not the faith. They die because that's how I get to heaven. And I'm not talking about Muslims. I'm a jerk to everybody around me and I preach the Bible and they're offended. Okay, good job, martyr. You're going to hell still. What are you leaving us with? What, how, okay, if, if it's not through suffering and it's not through great accomplishment and it's not through puffing up my chest about how I love Jesus and suffered for him and wrote for him and got slandered for him, what is it? Strive. To enter the, well, that's what I'm talking about. Strive, okay. Well, how do I strive? Well, for one thing, at least I pay attention. I pay attention to everything that scripture says. When I say I believe, I don't just mean I believe a sentence. I believe what God says. Okay? There's more in here than John 3.16. And, and the reason there's more in here than John 3.16 is to test so that we can examine ourselves. Remember, we come to the table and we examine ourselves? We examine ourselves to see, did we really believe John 3.16? What evidence is there? What symptoms do I have of eternal life? What signs? Okay, now this is Jesus saying strive, so I'm not talking about strive to earn something. I'm talking about Jesus agreeing with Paul, agreeing with Peter, agreeing with the whole rest of the Bible, that those who believe will strive. Those who trust in Christ to forgive their sins, that their sins are under the blood, will be motivated to live for him, to live by his word, because they know what they're rescued from. What are they rescued from? Well, he, he talks about it here. He says, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You're saved from an end, if you are saved, you, and you want to be saved if you're not saved, you want to be saved from a place where you will be, verse 28, end of verse 28, thrown out into. There are all kinds of nuanced writers and preachers who will say, very cleverly, you know, hell is locked from the inside. Well, there's something that they mean by that, but it's not what we need to be saying. Hell is a place where you are thrown into it. And if you've read scripture, you know there's at least one guy that really wants help there. Remember the rich man and Lazarus. Ask Abraham, please ask Lazarus to come over here and dip his finger in water and quench this 
You can't be. There are, whoever is in hell doesn't want to be there. Okay? It is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And for the people Jesus is talking to, they're weeping because they were so close. They were having a conversation where they could smell Jesus' breath. And they heard his voice and they could reach out and touch him. And maybe he touched some of them and healed them of, who knows what, they had an intense personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the end, they're cut off. And they see they don't get it. They didn't get it. They were, they were literally inches from him. But he never lived in them and through them, weeping because of what they've lost. And then gnashing teeth. Why are they gnashing teeth? Well, weeping and gnashing teeth are linked in this passage. What is it linked with? If you have a Bible, look at it. Otherwise, look at the screen. Trust what you're seeing. Why are they gnashing their teeth? When you see what? The party. Right? That you're not invited to. Isn't it interesting to think of hell as a place where you can see heaven from and you're not getting any of it? Abraham, Father Abraham, child of Abraham from my youth, you know. Isaac, who was laid on the altar. I used, I love telling my children about Isaac and Abraham and how Abraham drew that knife and God said, no, now I know you trust me. And I guess I didn't trust God the way Abraham trusted God. And now I can see Abraham and Isaac and I'll never be with them. And Jacob, Jacob the rat fink that did all those awful things, you know, the, the, uh, and you know, everybody in scripture has those kinds of stories. And he got there, defective as he was. He got there. David, you know what David did? He's there, and I'm not. Because, because what? 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 What did I miss? What didn't they tell me? Why didn't I, and why didn't I, and why didn't I? And at the end, that's all you'll have. Why didn't I strive? Why didn't I strive? I love the music. I, I was a subscriber to My Soul Among Lions. Knew most of the words of the, of the good songs. <laughs> but I mean, do you, get, do you get it? This is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this is what lots of people who sought him will be left with. Why didn't I listen? Jesus' words at the judgment, always, it's always striking to me the difference between his words and the judgments I want to make. You know, I often in my relationships and in my life and even in my relationship with Christ, in my prayer life, I, I want to confuse mercy, the mercy of God with mitigating circumstances. 
okay, which is a lot of syllables to just express the idea of excuse. Um, you know, Lord, I know that I wasn't pure in heart, but if you knew my upbringing, do you remember the, the videos that used to play in our home? Um, I know that I was, I threw some temper tantrums, but Lord, do you know how I saw all of my teachers and instructors as I was growing up and being trained uh, use their anger? What else could I do? And will he say, oh, well, yeah, you had a hard time. It's okay, don't worry about it, you're excused. That ain't mercy, right? That's just a different law. Mercy is, I have no excuse. I knew, I have no excuse. I have no excuse, I didn't know. I have no excuse. What about the people in Australia who've never heard the gospel? Everybody knows they're wicked. Everybody knows they're a sinner. They may have suppressed the truth and unrighteousness, right? Paul tells us that, but they're suppressing it. Everybody knows what he deserves. And it doesn't matter if you're Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, or you. You all need the same mercy, and I need that same mercy. And we need to strive to put everything out of our minds and strive for that mercy. And with whatever faith God gives us, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Because in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's also called in another place, weeping and gnashing of, in the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. John describes it as a lake of fire. Jesus is probably the most graphic. He says, their worm never dies. I grew up on a farm. I know exactly what he's talking about. I saw things rot all the time. And to think of a place where you are that forever and ever and ever and ever. And you never die. I want to escape it. So my point, uh, one of my points in trying to preach this to us is to get us to see any time that somebody uh, is endangering our souls, and you'll hear that banted about uh, from this pulpit, Warhorn Media, uh, Jake and Nathan and Brandon, and it's talk about this with books, you know, endangering souls, and it's just gross what this author is doing, and, it's, and this preacher, and how they're leading souls astray. And you'll think, you'll look at the issue and you'll say, who cares? I mean, who cares who's up in front teaching? and pre- Who cares about this little piddly sin? But if you feel the fact that a righteous and holy God has every, every reason to send you to a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the worm never dies, where it's described as outer darkness, a lake of fire that even swallows up death and Hades itself, uh, whatever that means in John's language. It's at least a place of intense, you can't even describe how awful it is, anything I can do to get out of that. I'll give up any, there's a great song. Um, by, uh, that I've heard from Doc Watson and some others. Brother, of, if far from the Savior today, wasting your life on the things that decay, oh, if today God should call you away, 
What will you give? What would you give in exchange for your soul? Oh, that's a great question to ask right now. What are you holding back on? What will you not believe because knowing, uh, what, what will you not give up because if you believe the gospel, you know you have to give that up. What's holding you back from believing? I believe most of the scriptures, but I'm just not ready for such and such yet. What would you give in exchange for your soul? I mean, anyway. Um, strive, how should, we, how should we strive? We should strive by faith to lay hold of all the things that God has promised us in his word and to say if God has promised it, it's real, it can be mine, I will believe the Lord Jesus Christ and if he should grant me that grace to believe, it'll be the sweetest deliverance I'll ever have or imagine. Um, you read this, they will come from east and west, from north or south, will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. You read that with me just now. Let me read it again. You will see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all the prophets in, you yourselves thrown out, and they will come from the east, and they will come from the west. And they, you will be thrown out. They will come from the north and they will come from the south. Are there just a few being saved? You'll knock and you won't get in. They will come. Because they have been far off and they have not known the promises of God. And when they hear, they will stream into Zion. Those aborigines, those poor aborigines people always bring up, they've never heard, the, when they hear, they will come. I don't know what it will look like. They'll build a boat and cross oceans to get to Zion. When, when they hear and Zion come, you know, Jerusalem comes down, the nations will come. All those backwards people that that all the forward people looked to and said, well, it's not fair that they haven't heard. They will come, Jesus says. Are there a few being saved? There are a few of you, but they will come. A countless multitude will come because the gospel is unbelievable salvation that nobody deserves. And when somebody who is outside hears it, what will you not give up to get it, to get to see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and him? Some are last who will be first. All those people you look down on, all those people that behave that way and you don't know why people can't get it together, they're gonna be brought together. I remember sitting in a, uh, an office, a church study is what we called it, pastor's study with a man who uh, uh, we were talking for a little while and it was clear after a while, he wasn't quite clear on the gospel. So um, I was younger then and I trusted myself not as much as I trust myself now. 
which is sad. So I just opened a book that was Plan of Salvation. You know, I just read to him from point one, point two, point three, point four. It was the evangelism explosion track. You know, and I was like, I'm not going to take chances. I want to cover it all with this guy. And it took us maybe 15 minutes. And at the end, he just kind of sat back. And, you know, there's no trumpets blaring or anything. He just said, huh. Something effective. Well, I mean, I knew that. But, you know, that really brings it all together. Huh. And, you know, he left. A week later, he comes back and he says, hey, I want to talk to you for a second. His family is waiting outside. He says, uh, you remember when we talked uh, the other night? Yeah, yeah. Um, I just want you to know, I, I, I got in my car after that, and I drove to a certain place, and he named it, and I, I cleaned out all of the pornography that I had been hiding in my vehicle, and I destroyed it. And uh, I, I drove home, and I... <clears throat> I confessed it to my wife. And, wow, how did that go? Well, you know, she was, you know, but they... We didn't talk about any of that. But it was as though Christ came to live with that man that day. And he couldn't explain it. He couldn't put it into words. He didn't have justification, sanctification. He didn't have any of that. He just, he knew. He was free. He was clean. He wanted to be clean. Many are last will be first. And first will be last. In the meantime, when we come to a table like this, we want to think about that feast, right? They will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And I remember one of the great stories of hope. I like like reading uh, miserable books like books on the yellow fever and um, the, uh, what was the one, Endurance that Clara and I listened to on the way over here, you know, the Shackleton Expedition. One of them was uh, Louis Zamperini's story. Uh, he's stranded in the, in the Pacific Ocean with two guys in World War II and nobody's ever going to find him and they're pretty sure they're going to die, but they've got to stay alive as long as they can because maybe they'll be rescued. And what keeps them going was really interesting. You would think starving men would want to think about anything else, but what they spend their time doing is reciting ingredient by ingredient recipes their mothers had fixed for them when they were growing up. And it kept them going. Remember... And he says after, after a couple of days of this, they'd had all their recipes memorized and they started just delighting and correcting each other. You, you left out the cream. You know, they just had their eyes fixed on the feast. You know, brother and sister in Christ, strive, strive, know the word, believe the word, do the word, think about the feast. Keep it in front of you every day. So that you'll make it. You'll make it. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the hope that it brings to us and for the fact that we are not approaching a heavenly bean counter who has um, foremost in his message the limit of his patience, the limit of his mercy but who is able to save to the uttermost all of his people. Father, as we prepare ourselves for this table, 
that we're going to approach and this week ahead. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us how excellent a thing it is to strive and how easy and wonderful a thing it is for a free and forgiven people to strive toward the love of God, to strive in the mercy of God, to strive to be and to do the things that please their heavenly Father, not because they then in of themselves are able, but because he has decreed their forgiveness and he has welcomed them to his table and he has said, in effect, go on, go on and do. Don't be afraid. Be my children. We pray, Father, that you would convince us, convict us of our sins, convince us of your forgiveness, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.